0: Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, that that would be our prayer today. Lord, that we would be your heart, your hand, your voice in our community and throughout the world. As we, as our mission states, love the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, you are the only hope for our world. The world of darkness. You are the light so father i pray that we would take the gospel to the nations starting here in bastrop and morehouse parish or be glorified in us now father as we come to this time to open your holy inspired and inerrant word we do pray today that you would write its eternal truth upon our hearts Lord, let us live by your word. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. A wasted life is a purposeless life, a life without purpose. That's why all of us at some point in time in our life, we ask that question, what is my reason for existing? Why am I here? What's my purpose in life? Everyone asks that question. The truth of the matter is that our greatest purpose is a God-given purpose. And Jesus came to give us that purpose. Not only a purpose, but the purpose to live. To live on mission for His kingdom. Now today we're starting a, a new series in the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, so in light of that, turn with me to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18, as we look at 1 uh, at Corinthians, uh, where to start except for where Paul planted the church in Corinth. So this is uh, serving as kind of an introductory to the letter of 1 Corinthians as we think about Paul and how he planted the church and, and the kind of church in which he planted there in Corinth, uh, the name of this series is Countercultural because 1 Corinthians, that's kind of the theme of the book, is to live countercultural, uh, counter to what our culture around us lives. That's what Christians are called to. We're called to live a countercultural life. As part of that kind of life, uh, it is our mission. Our very mission is countercultural. Uh, the world's mission uh, is bound up in individuality. What's my mission in life? Well, what am I created to do? What's my purpose? But God says here's your collective purpose, the church's purpose, the people of God's purpose in life and it's very different from the world's purpose. The world's purpose says I need to build my kingdom, but God's purpose says you need to build his kingdom. And so, as even as we look at this passage here in Acts chapter 18, we're going to see that countercultural lifestyle beginning to take place even here as Paul plants this church in Corinth. Now, I want us to look at this church and see what kind of church it was that Paul established there. And so as we uh, will see what it takes to—here uh, in this passage, we're going to see what it takes to live on mission for God. That's why I, I entitled the, the message today, Life on Mission, because we want to see what it means to live life on mission for God. Now, for Luke in, in the book of Acts, uh, to live life on mission is this— Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in, in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so to live on mission is to be a witness for God wherever you go to be a witness to God, to be a a witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever you go. And Paul certainly lived out that mission in his life. And notice this, that every Christian is called to live life on mission. It wasn't just a mission for Paul. It wasn't just a mission for Peter and the other apostles. This is a mission for every Christian. As Miss Sue said earlier, it's not just my mission as the pastor to tell people about Jesus. It's all of our mission to tell our friends, our family, our acquaintances, whomever God puts in our path about Jesus Christ. So today as we look at this passage we're going to see four key principles to live life on mission. Four key principles to live life on mission. And I just want to empower you today to live life on mission. So Paul is on his second missionary journey here in Acts chapter 18. This is his second missionary journey. His first missionary journey, he, he had planted some churches. Now he sets out on his second missionary journey. And he, this is where he got his Macedonia call, and he goes to uh, Philippi, and he goes there and he meets Linda. And, and he plants a church there in Philippi. Of course, you remember there he, he got arrested, He got beaten, he and Silas, and they got thrown in jail. And then after they came and brought them out of the jail, they said, "Uh, would y'all guys please mind leaving town, right? Would y'all get out? And then as he continues on to travel throughout this second missionary journey, uh, he gets ran out of every town he comes to. He goes in, he preaches the gospel, they don't like it, and they rush him out. Get out of here, we don't want what what you're selling, right? Get out of here. They run him out of every place. So if you go back and look at all of Paul's missionary journeys, uh, you can see that he had been stoned, he had been beaten, he had been prisoned, and he had been ran out of every town that he had come to. And now he enters in Corinth. He enters in Corinth, and he is alone at this point in time. He is by himself, Silas and Timothy, His, his traveling partner's they have been left to to kind of finish up some things at some previous church plants and so he's kind of waiting on them to come but as he is waiting he is on mission for the lord and he begins to plant this church in corinth now this section uh, acts chapter 18 verses 1 through 17 is where paul plants this church and As we move through this, Luke, he's he's the author of this book. Luke is telling us the narrative of Paul's planting this church in four scenes. And so we're going to see this movement in four scenes throughout Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 17. So as we look then, as we begin to look there, first of all, we see after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Here's where Paul enters into Corinth. Now, Corinth is quite an interesting city. Uh, Corinth is a large city, a very large city in ancient times. Uh, Just studying through it, I've seen estimations from over 200,000 to somewhere around 600,000. Guesstimations of the population, we don't know for sure. They didn't keep that kind of census back then, so don't know exact population, but somewhere between 200,000 and 600,000. So just think somewhere along the the range of the size of Baton Rouge and New Orleans. Somewhere in that size. This was a large city in ancient times, a very large city. Lots of people there in in Corinth. Uh, It was the capital city of Achaia. So it had lots of political influence. There were many politicians who lived in Corinth. Uh, there were a lot of Roman soldiers who lived in Corinth. It had political power, so it was a very powerful city. It was a crossroads of commerce, a crossroads of commerce. Corinth was located on the Corinthian isthmus connecting mainland Greece to the Peloponnesian peninsula. So you can see there on the map there's Corinth. They're on the isthmus of the Corinth isthmus and it connects Achaia, the rest of Greece, right, to the Peloponnese. And so as it is right there, right? It's the crossroads of commerce in the area. Everything that comes from Greece down to the Peloponnese and vice versa has to funnel through Corinth. In addition to that, they were right between two port cities or two ports. To the west, there was the, the Gulf of Corinth. To the east, or excuse me, that's by. Yeah, right. Uh, to the west was the Gulf of Corinth. To the east was the Gulf of Aegina. And so, what uh, what sea merchants would often do, uh, instead of taking their cargo around to the stormy southern seas of the Peloponnese, uh, they would bring their 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 uh, cargo into one port, unload it haul it the three and a half miles across the isthmus there, and take it to the other port. And so literally, Corinth was a crossroads of commerce. They were, there were people coming through there from land and by sea, and all of it was funneling through Corinth. It was a commercial crossroads. A lot of Commercial activity going on, a lot of trading and that sort of thing going on in in Corinth. I, it was also an epicenter of religion. Uh, there were there was a, a great temple there to Aphrodite. There was also a temple to Apollo and hundreds of other gods as well. They, there was no shortage of, of temples, no shortage of religion in Corinth. It was everywhere. Hundreds of temples. Uh, there was also a large Jewish population, so there was a very large synagogue in Corinth, which we'll see in a moment. So it was a, a it was a... A political capital. It was a crossroads of commerce. It was an epicenter of religion, but it was also immersed in immorality. It was absolutely immersed in immorality. It was the sin city of the ancient world. In fact, there was a, an ancient term uh, to Corinthianize was to commit sexual immorality. So it was immoral it was a very morally corrupt society and this is the city that paul comes into with the gospel of jesus christ now as paul enters into corinth he's all alone and he has no finances so what does he do he has to go out and he has to look for a job so looking at verse two it says and he found a jew priscilla Uh, oh excuse me he So as Paul comes into Corinth, into this great city, full of all of its distractions, he has an immediate need. He needs a job. And so he goes to uh, the, the area there. He goes to the place, the, the marketplace, and he begins to ask, well, are there any tent makers around? I need a job. And, and guess what happened? There were two tent makers there, Aquila and Priscilla husband and wife, they were tent makers together, and by God's providence, they had been run out of Rome, and they had come to Corinth, just as Paul was coming into Corinth, and guess what? Not only are they Jews, but they're also Christians. They're also Christians. They'd already heard the gospel, they'd already been converted, and now God leads Paul to Priscilla and Aquila, and they hook up, and there is God's financial support right there isn't God good I want you to know that when we live life on mission God provides he takes care of us all along the way we may not know what's on the road ahead but God does and he will take care of our every need But notice what Paul does as he has all of the distractions of the city around him, as he even is concerned about a job. What is his main focus as he enters into Corinth? He goes into the temple. Look what it says. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Even with all of this going on, even coming to this big, humongous new city, he's never been there before, but now he comes into the city. He, he needs a job. He has all of these things going on, yet he is on mission. He has prioritized God's mission for him. I want you to see this, dear friend. If we are going to live life on mission, if you are going to live life on mission, you must prioritize the mission. You must prioritize the mission. No matter what else you have going on in your life, you must prioritize the mission. It doesn't matter. We all have other responsibilities outside of church, don't we? We all do. Uh, not everyone is, is, is employed by the ministry, right? I, I, I get the privilege to be employed by the church, and so my whole life is on mission from beginning to end. But we all have other things going on in our lives. Some of you have jobs. Some of you have other responsibilities outside the church. Nevertheless, you must prioritize the mission. Paul had the need. He had to go get a job. He worked day in and day out building tents, making these tents with Priscilla and Aquila, yet he went to the synagogue. He preached the gospel. He shared the gospel with others. He prioritized the mission. And dear friend, if you want to live on mission, you must, you absolutely must prioritize the mission. Every morning when you get up, you need to pray, Lord God, As I'm going today, throughout my day, as I'm taking care of all the other things I've got to do in this day, Lord, make me aware. Make me aware of who is around me. Lead me to someone who needs to hear the gospel. Help me to find that person whom I need to start investing in and building a relationship with for the purpose of sharing the gospel with them. Open my eyes the lost around me you must prioritize the mission as paul continues on we see here uh, verse five says when silas and timothy arrived from macedonia now silas and timothy they've been like i said they've been up there at another church kind of finishing up some matters now they come to corinth and they join up with paul it says paul was occupied Paul was occupied. Occupied there means to be fully engaged or engrossed in something. And so now Paul is occupied. He's fully engaged with the Word, testifying to Jews that the Christ was Jesus. What has happened here is Timothy and Silas, as they come to Corinth, now they have brought some support from Philippi and and all of these other churches that they have planted along the way now they have brought support now Paul is able to focus more on the gospel ministry so now he doesn't have to work every day day in and out but now he's focused he is he's engrossed in the ministry and he goes in and he continues to to reason with the Jews it says he he's occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that christ was jesus here we see we began to see paul's strategy in ministry working out he goes to the jews he testifies to them he bears witness to the gospel to the jews verse six says and when they opposed and reviled him he shook out his garments and said to them your blood be on your own heads i am innocent from now on i will go to the gentiles And he left there, and he went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. We see here Paul's strategy, and if you go back through and and begin to read Paul's story and and how he goes out on mission, you see this common kind of thread going through as he goes from town to town. He has a strategy, right? He has a plan of action put in place. First, he goes to the Jews. That's the low-hanging fruit, right? It's the low-hanging fruit. These are the people who, they know the Word of God. They've studied the Old Testament. They know about the Messiah. They're anticipating the Messiah who was to come. And so Paul goes to the low-hanging fruit. He goes to the Jews and he begins to reason with them in Scripture. He doesn't have to start from scratch with them. So he goes to them first and he begins to reason with them. Then he, he wins a few converts. Even Crispus, the, the leader of the synagogue, believes and, and comes out of the synagogue. So he has some converts among the Jews, but then the rest of the Jews, they don't want to have anything to do with it. They reject him and send him out of the synagogue. So Paul shakes off his, the dust from his garment, it was a symbolic act of saying, I'm done with you, All right? Blood be on your own hand, I'm going to the Greeks. And so where does he go to next? He goes to the God-fearers. These are the, the, the Gentiles who are, uh, they have a, a spirituality about them, right? They, they have interest in God. There's, there's been some interest there. They've, they've been to the synagogue before. They've kind of heard the message, and, and they're interested in the things of God. And, and so Paul goes to them next. They're the next level. He's going to them. They know a little bit. They, he may have to spend a little more time with them, but they they have kind of a base knowledge of of. Uh, of the Jewish God, Yahweh. And so he goes to them next, and he wins a few there. And then when he, he gets them, then he goes to the next level, right? The, the pagans who have no interest in, in Christianity whatsoever. And he begins to testify to them. Uh, Paul had a strategy, You know, we need a plan of action even as we go out and take the gospel to the people around us. We need to look and and see, and maybe that needs to be it. We go to the low-hanging fruit. We go to those who have been in church and maybe even raised in church, and we we tell them the gospel and reason with them so that they might believe. Then we go to those who are, are kind of spiritual in nature maybe they have some interest but they they haven't really found what they're looking for right and so you take the gospel to them and you reason with them and and pray to god that some of them will become christians and then you go to the wider population even those who have no interest in god whatsoever you go to every segment of society taking the gospel of jesus christ because everybody needs the gospel But there needs to be a strategy. There needs to be a plan in place. As you walk in life, as you live on mission, you need to have a plan. How am I going to do this? Where am I going to go? Who am I going to to, uh, appeal to? But notice, even as the the best laid plans don't always work out, right? Even though Paul goes to all these different people and he reasons with them, he is rejected. He is rejected you know let me tell you sometimes even as you go out as you live on mission as you begin to share the gospel with people oh you're going to have some victories you're going to have some people who who hear it and receive the word of the gospel with joy and you're also going to have some rejection now how does paul handle the rejection he perseveres he pushes through it He perseveres in the mission that God has given to him. And let me tell you, if you're going to live life on mission, you're going to be rejected. Nevertheless, you must persevere in the mission. You must persevere in the mission. You must push through the rejection and continue on mission. Think about a a young quarterback. Hasn't played much. He goes into a game, and uh, he's on fire, right? He's hitting pass after pass after pass. But then, somewhere in the midst of the game, he throws an interception. Oh, can't believe I threw an interception. Everything was going so well. And he begins to focus in on the, on the interception. He begins to focus in on his failure, And so the next time he comes in, he's just focusing on that last failure. And guess what? He throws another interception and another interception. And he gets beat down more and more. And before you know it, the coach has to call in his replacement. But now a seasoned quarterback, a seasoned quarterback like old Breezy, right? He comes in, and he's throwing a, he's, he, a completion, a completion, a completion, and then, up oh, an interception. Man, missed that one. All right, push that out of the way, and guess what? He's back to the game, right? His head's back focused. That, that was a failure. All right, it's out of the way. I can't do anything about that now. I need to focus on the next play. He doesn't let the failure get him down. Let me tell you, if we, if we live life on mission, we can't let our failures get us down. We can't let those who reject us get us down and take us out of the game. We've got to focus on the next one. We've got to persevere in the mission. We have to persevere in the mission. Well, in the third scene of Paul's story here, we see the Lord Jesus visit Paul in a vision Paul needs a little strengthening at this time. There's been a lots of rejection. There's been some victories, but there's been some rejection. And so Paul needs some encouragement here. And so the Lord comes to him in verse 9 and says, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Now I want you to see that this third scene here, verses 9 and through 11, they're at the climax of this story they're at the climax of this narrative so it's just like any narrative you, you've learned in school a good narrative it has conflict right it has conflict it, it kind of sets the setting gives you all the characters it has it builds in conflict then it has a climax and then there's a resolution. Well, the same thing is going on here. Luke, as Luke's telling this, this narrative, this historical narrative, he builds in all of these elements, and this is the climax. And at the climax of the text, at the climax of the story, that's where the central truth that he wants to get through lies. So uh, you might want to star this one, because this is the most important of, of everything that's communicated in this little story here. This is the most important. The Lord comes to Paul one night in a vision and he says to him, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. Now, in in addition to this being the climax of this little narrative here, uh, these two imperatives, do not be afraid, go on speaking. They're the only two imperatives, that is the voice of command that's in this little narrative. That's a double whammy, right? That's a double uh, indicator that, hey, you need to pay attention to this. And so the Lord comes to Paul and he says, do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Now, why would the Lord have to tell Paul, do not be afraid? Could it be that there's a little fear welling up inside of Paul at this point? Could it be he's getting a little antsy? He's getting a little nervous? Oh, no, not Paul. Paul was so courageous. Well, as John Wayne once says, uh, courage is being scared to death and saddling up anyway. Paul was a courageous man, but no doubt he had some fear from time to time, and Paul apparently must be having a little bit of fear starting to, to well up inside of him because the Lord comes and says, do not be afraid, Paul. Don't be afraid. Now, why would Paul be afraid? Because just like we said earlier, in every, uh, in every town that Paul has come to thus far, just about every one of them, he has been run out. He has been stoned, he has been beaten, he has been imprisoned, and he has been ran out of town almost every time. And so you've got to imagine Paul, as, as he begins to preach the gospel and he's beginning to, beginning to get a little resistance, there has to be this, this kind of thought running through his mind, all right, All right, when's the ball going to drop, right? When are they going to run me out of town? At what point am I going to get hauled out of here? Maybe was getting ready. All right, where do I go to next? Because it's coming, right? the, The tension is building. It's coming. Where do I go to next? And the Lord comes, Paul says, do not fear, Paul. Do not be afraid. Go on speaking and do not be silent. And here's why he says that. For, because, I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you. For, because, I have many people, I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. God says, don't fear Paul. Don't be afraid. Go on speaking. Go on preaching. Go on declaring the gospel in my name because, number one, I am with you. Number two, I've got people here whose names have been written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the earth, and I'm calling them out. And you're the man I'm trusting to do that. You stay, Paul. You continue encourage to, uh, cour- courageously proclaiming the gospel So Paul was encouraged, and he stayed there. You know, if we are going to proclaim the gospel, if you're going to live life on mission, you must place trust in Christ's power to accomplish the mission. You must place faith in Christ's power to accomplish the mission. Let me tell you, dear friend, as you go out and you proclaim the gospel, as you go out and live life on mission, God has a promise for you. Christ has a promise for you. I am with you. I am with you. I am there with you, and my power is with you. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me all authority, all power in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and and teaching them all to observe, teaching them uh, to observe all that I have commanded you. And what? And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Christ says, I'm with you. I am with you. You don't have to fear because I am with you. Acts 1.8 And when you receive power, right? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I am with you through the power of the Holy Spirit. I dwell in you. And as you go out on mission, I am there with you. You're not doing this in your own power. You're doing it, doing it in my power. Let me tell you, when you go out and share the gospel with someone, it's not up to you to win them to the Lord. The Lord's going to win them to the Lord. It's His power that converts people. It's His power that transforms them. It's His power that opens up their ears to hear the gospel he's just calling you to open your mouth just to be faithful to be a, a witness to the gospel he does all the work if you're going to live life on mission you must trust the power of christ to accomplish the mission well god's presence and god's power ensures success in the mission but it does not ensure smooth sailing here we see the resolution of this narrative in verse 12 but when gallio who was proconsul of achaia the jews uh, when gallio was proconsul of achaia the jews made a united attack on paul all the Jews in the city—that is, those who opposed the gospel, not those who are with Paul, but those who were still in the synagogue and who had resisted him, had rejected him. Now they're coming together. They're making a united attack against Paul, and they brought him before the tribunal, saying, "This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law." Right. This was something that they have already seen, something that Paul's already seen. People have brought him into the trial, to stand trial for causing a ruckus, and now these Jews are doing the same thing. But Paul, when, or but when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it was a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews... I would have reason to accept your complaint, but since, this is a, since it is a matter of question about words and names and your own law, not Roman law, but your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal, and they all see Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Galileo paid no attention to any of this. So uh, even as these, these men come up and they begin to reject Paul, they begin to uh, mount this attack on Paul, this united attack on Paul, God's word rings true. Don't go, don't fear, continue to speak. I'm not going to let any harm come to you because I have people in this place. And they mount the attack. They come after Paul. But God was with him, and God brought him through. You need to understand here that just because God's power is with us and we go in the power of the Lord, that doesn't mean it's always going to be smooth sailing. It doesn't mean it's always going to be smooth sailing. There's still those who are out there who are going to be after us, who are going to be uh, want to overcome the gospel. There are people in the world uh, that that mount up attacks against Christians all the time. But notice this, that God's power always prevails. If you are going to live on mission, you must prepare for opposition to the mission. You must prepare for opposition to the mission because opposition will arise. Get ready for it. Get ready for it. But even in that, know that God's power can overcome it and will overcome it. You will continue to persevere on mission. Let me ask you, dear friend are you living life on mission? Are you living life on mission? Are you being obedient to the Word of God that caused you to be a witness to the gospel, to your community? your friends your neighbors your family in order to live life on mission you must place trust in Christ's power to accomplish the mission there's no way around it you must trust in his power because only his power will give you success for some of you you know you're supposed to be living life on mission You know you're called to do that, but you have allowed distractions and fears to keep you from doing what Christ has called you to do. Today, you need to put your eyes on Jesus and trust in His power to accomplish the mission, and you need to get on mission. Repent from your laziness. Repent from uh, not doing what you are supposed to be doing. And live life on mission for others you're not living on mission because you've never put your faith in jesus you've never trusted in jesus christ to save you you're lost without a purpose in life because you've never trusted in the one who gives life and gives purpose today you need to turn away from your purposeless life And trust in Jesus Christ. Trust in His power. The power that He displayed in His death, burial, and resurrection. He died for your sins. And He was was raised again for your justification. Trust in Jesus. And He will not only give you eternal life, but He will give you purpose in this life. Live on mission. heavenly father we thank you lord god for the mission that you have given us there's no question about it lord as we contemplate that great question what am i here for you have given us a purpose you have given us a reason to live and it's not a temporary purpose it's not a temporary reason but it is an eternal one your kingdom Oh, Father, let us be faithful to build your kingdom by being faithful to do what you have called us to do and make disciples by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with the lost. Give us the power to go out and proclaim your gospel. And, Lord, you receive glory for all the victories. Lord, certainly there are those today who have never trusted in Jesus And my prayer today, Lord, is that they would know Jesus, see Jesus, seek Him, and trust in Him today. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.